The epistle for this feast of the Most Holy Trinity is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Romans. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and of the knowledge of God. How incomprehensible are his judgments and how unsearchable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has first given to him that recompense should be made him for from him and through him and unto him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the 28th chapter of the gospel of St. Matthew. At that time, Jesus said to his disciples, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you all days, even to the consummation of the world. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. My dear faithful, it's so difficult for us to understand the life of God because that life is so very simple. It's utterly simple. Everything in our life is broken into discrete, separate parts. Whereas the life of God has no parts at all. Whatever is separate in our life is one and the same in the life of God. My breathing is not the same as my talking, is not the same as my walking, is not the same as my thinking, is not the same as my loving. But in God, his thinking is the very same act as his loving, is the same as his living, is the same as his creating, is the same as his blessing. It's all absolutely one and the same reality. For us, each action is separated from the next action by a moment of time. Our actions are sort of spread out one by one um, on a thread of moments and, and minutes and, and hours and days and years. Each action separate from the following action. But God's activity is of only one moment. It's absolutely simple. It, it, God acts in one moment alone, uh, the single moment of eternity that encompasses all moments, all of our moments of time. Very difficult for, under, for us to understand this absolute and utter simplicity of the life of God. But, but as difficult as, as it is for us to understand the simplicity of God's life, it's just as difficult for us to understand the diversity of his life. Because not everything in God is absolutely simple. When our Lord came on this earth, he revealed to us that in the midst of God's supreme simplicity, there is some differentiation. There is some diversity. There's embedded some distinction. We would expect that for God in his simplicity, there, there would exist, like, like there does for us, one person for one concrete nature. Um, so this is, this is the way... That, that all human beings are. For, for every person, for whenever you have one person, one human person, you also have one 
concrete human nature. Um, whenever there are two persons, there are two distinct concrete human natures. That's, that's always the way it works. I mean, when, when a new child is born, we, we don't have to ask ourselves, so how many people do we have here? Is this one, three, sixteen people that we, that we have with this one concrete human nature? We always know it's always going to be one person for the one concrete human nature that's there before us. It's always the case. But this is not the way that it is with God. In God, there is one concrete divine nature, but three, not one, not two, three distinct persons. And because this, this, this sort of thing is utterly unknown in the created world, there is no instance of this in the created world. You, see, you, you, you would never find that. We, that's why we have so much difficulty, not just to understand what, what it means, but, but even to see how it might be possible for such a reality to exist, for there to be three persons all sharing the one concrete divine nature. Say you had three people, John, James, and Peter. And John, James, and Peter were very, very close, extremely close, amazingly close, even though they were distinct persons. They were so close that they had exactly the same thoughts, one and the same thoughts. Whatever the one thought, the other thought, the exact same thing. Not only that, but everything they did, all their actions, were exactly the same actions. There was no distinction whatsoever in what they did. Not only that, but they shared the exact same human soul. There were not three different souls. There's just one human soul that belonged to all three. Not only that, they even shared the same human body. For those three persons, they had the exact human soul. They had the exact same human body. Only one body and one soul belonging to three persons. This, this gives us maybe just a small idea of what the life of God, the Holy Trinity, is. Three persons in one concrete divine nature. So because this is the greatest mystery in our faith, it's so easy to go wrong, it's so easy to fall into heresy in, in regards to the Holy Trinity. It's, it's a dangerous Sunday for the, for the priest to speak. Um, you see, already from the very beginning, we're getting to very, very difficult theological questions that's uh, the priest has to be careful not to fall into heresy. There's two main ways in which you can fall into heresy. And you'll find in the preface of the Holy Trinity um, the clarification of what we must not do to fall into heresy. Um, we, we must not divide the substance of God, and we must not confound the persons these are the two main ways in which to fall into heresy. You divide the substance of God when you make the persons too different from one another. When, when you say that they are actually of 
different natures, that they have a different existence, that they have a different thinking, that they have a different loving, that their actions are different. You know, this is the heresy of Arius, Arianism, where uh, Arius says that the father and the son, he, he makes them, the father and the son too different. He's, he says that the, the son is a creature of the father. He's the greatest creature of the father, but he is a creature. So instead of the father and the son being absolutely equal, having the same existence, having the same action, he says the father is the creator and the son is a creature. He differentiates the substance of the different persons. And this is a heresy. And you would notice with this heresy, and with, with the other form of heresy I'm going to talk about as well, what, what happens in the heresies is we try to take God, the mystery of God, the great mystery of the Holy Trinity, and try to bring it down to our level. We try to make God comprehensible to our limited mind, so we give him a sort of creaturely existence. So, so the relationship between creator and creature is something that's familiar to us. We are creatures of God the creator. Okay, so, so we say, I can understand that when you have one person who is a creator and the other person is a creature. I can understand that, so let's do that to God and make him comprehensible. We'll say God the Father is a creator. We'll say God the Son is a creature. Now I got it. Now I got it. The other way to fall into heresy, which we must avoid, is confounding the persons. And that is when you make the different persons so close to one another that there's absolutely no distinction between them. This is the error of the heretic Sabellius. Sabellius in the third century. So he said that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost are so much the same that they're really one and the same person. That we speak of the three persons only to describe different aspects, different modalities of the one God. But really, there is absolutely no distinction between them. And the consequence of this is, is the belief that, that it wasn't just God the Son who became man but it was also God the Father and God the Holy Ghost who became man. So it wasn't just one person who became incarnate, but all three persons became incarnate. God the Father suffered on the cross. God the Holy Ghost suffered on the cross. It wasn't just God the Son who suffered on the cross because there's really no difference among the three persons. They're, they're one ex exactly the same. So my dear faithful, well, it's... Always a difficult sermon this, this, this Sunday of Trinity Sunday for the priest to try to, to explain the little that he understands of this great mystery. And you might ask yourself, why is this important? What, why, why do we need to believe this? Why, why, do we, why do we need to profess this great mystery? Why should we try to understand as best as we can this great mystery? Well, it turns out it's extremely important. It's very, very important for us to profess this mystery accurately as it is revealed to us. I want to give you four reasons why this, this is important. First of all, it's important because it makes for us being right 
or wrong about who God is. When you do religion, you want to worship the right God, not the wrong God. You want to worship the God that actually exists, not some God that does not exist. Like the Muslims, for instance, their belief about God. They deny that there are three persons in one God. They, they reject as an abomination what we Christians believe of God, that, that he is three persons in one God. And because of that, their, their conception of Allah is that he's completely and utterly one with no distinction of persons. So they worship a God that does not really exist. They're, in other words, their idea of God does not correspond to the actually existing God. And so when they bow down, when they put out their prayer rug and they bow down before Allah, they're worshiping a God that, in fact, does not exist. And when you worship God, you want to worship a God that really exists, not a God of your own creation. Secondly, it's important because this is God telling us about himself. Our Lord is God. He became incarnate. He told us that there are three persons in one God. And if you come along and you say, well, this is really mysterious, it's confusing, I don't really get it, let's simplify this, let's make this easier for myself. I'm just going to reject this idea that there are three persons in one God. Well, then you are rejecting God. You are refusing to accept what God himself has told you about his own interior life. And this is, this is wrong. You will not save your soul if you do that. You will lose your soul. This is what is said at the beginning of the Athanasian Creed. You know, the Athanasian Creed is a profession of faith in the Holy Trinity, and, and it goes out of its way to be super accurate and precise about the nature of this mystery. So the very beginning of the Athanasian Creed says this, Whosoever will be saved before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith. Which faith? Except everyone do keep whole and undefiled without doubt, he shall perish everlastingly. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. It's a matter of salvation. If you willfully reject something revealed by God, you reject God, and you cannot be with God forever. Third thing, this, is, this mystery is important because God is the one who dwells in your soul. It's God, the Holy Trinity, who's dwelling in your soul, who lives in your soul by the life of grace. And what you have to do during your life is you have to foster that life of God in your soul. You must want to foster the life of the Holy Trinity in your soul. Make it grow. And if, if that's the very purpose of your existence, then it's important for you to know who is dwelling in you. It's important for you to know if it's one person with one nature or three persons with one nature. Because the more that you know God, then the more that you understand him, the better you are able to love him. You know how uh, a couple, when, when they're dating, 
they, they're like, okay, should, should we spend the rest of our life together? Should we form a family or not? Well, they don't know when they first meet one another. They, they, they have, if they want to, to dwell with one another for the rest of their life, they have to figure out if they can love one another for their life. To do that, they have to get to know one another. They spend time. They understand one another as best as they can. Perhaps they reach a point where they say, I think we, we can love one another for the rest of our life. When it comes to God, you, what you are meant to do is, is not just love God for the rest of your life, but to love God for all eternity. So you, you need to know who he is, who it is who dwells within you. You know, Sister Elizabeth of the Trinity, that great Carmelite of the early 20th century, she has great insight into the life of grace. She had this great understanding of who was inside of her, the God that was inside of her. She said, the Trinity, there is our dwelling, our home, the Father's house that we must never leave. It seems to me that I have found my heaven on earth, for heaven is God and God is in my soul. She understood what was inside of her, God dwelling inside, God the Trinity. And she dwelt in God, God dwelt in her. Lastly, it's important for us to profess this mystery because we are meant to have a great respect and awe for God. We profess this mystery as it is revealed to us. We understand that it is mysterious, that we can't grasp it, and we simply bow down before it. We, we honor this transcendent God who reveals the nature of his inmost life, that, that there are three persons in one concrete nature, something we have no experience of in this created world. And we say, I cannot grasp this. I bow and I adore it. It's good for us to see that God has a mode of being that is above our understanding so that we can submit our mind to its mystery. We, we are not able to see contradiction. It doesn't contradict reason. We can't see that. Um, yeah, we, it's not going to contradict reason, uh, but at the same time, our reason cannot grasp it. There's this famous story of, of St. Augustine. St. Augustine was writing a book. I mean, that's what he did a lot. He wrote over 300 books in his life, so he was often writing books. And this book was a particularly difficult one. It was on the Trinity. And he was taking a break it's difficult to write a book on the Trinity. So he's taking a break. He was just taking a walk on the beach. And he came across this child. This child had dug a hole in the sand. And he was going to the ocean. He was like filling up a cup of water and he was pouring it into the hole. And St. Augustine was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And the child said, I'm taking the ocean and I'm going to put it in this hole right here. St. Augustine's like, you can't do that. That's absolutely impossible. There's no way the ocean is going to fit in this hole. And the child said, and there's no way you're going to understand the Holy Trinity. 
to try to put the ocean, the infinite ocean of, of God's transcendent being into your little mind, not going to happen. It's not going to happen. At a certain point, we, it's good for us to try to grasp as much as we can, but at a certain point, we just have to bow down and adore God. The traditional Mass has us pray the preface to the Most Holy Trinity so many Sundays in the year. And uh, I invite you to, to pay attention to this, to this preface. We're getting ready to, to pray. It has us say, It is truly meet and just, right, and for our salvation, that we should at all times, in all places, give thanks unto Thee, O Holy Lord, Father Almighty, everlasting God, who, together with Thy only begotten Son and the Holy Ghost, are one God, one Lord, not in the oneness of a single person, but in the trinity of one substance. Today at Mass, we have this great privilege, the greatest privilege that we have here on this earth to join with the angels of heaven in the adoration of this great mystery of our transcendent God, one God, three persons. We, we must especially ask the Holy Ghost in this, in this time after Pentecost to to enlighten our minds, to give us some insight into this mystery of who our God is, and especially that great grace to, um, to love God the Holy Trinity dwelling in our hearts, to foster that life of God in our hearts so that we may adore and contemplate the Most Holy Trinity for all eternity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.